Okay, so the last couple of weeks we've been talking about being clay in God's hands and allowing him to transform us from being self-led to being Christ-led. To go through this transformation of being something, as Paul says, old and being made new. This transformation that takes place is not one that happens overnight. It's a process. It takes time. No one wakes up and is where they need to be. No one wakes up and arrives and is finally perfect in God's sight. It just doesn't happen. It's a process that takes time. And so last week, we looked at three of the five stages of discipleship. Can anyone tell me the first three stages that we talked about last week? Bob. Yes. Those who are spiritually dead, those who are a spiritual infant and spiritual child. Well, we finish up this message series on, on clay. Go back, Kaylin. Uh, but first, I want to uh, give uh, the public address announcement that we need to make sure that we hear loudly and clearly. Um, I, I said it multiple times last week, so I'll say it uh, multiple times again today. Um, that no matter where you fall in these stages, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be a, a spiritual infant. It's, it's okay to be anywhere in the spectrum. It will preferably not the spiritually dead one. That's not one we would say is okay. But growing in our faith, that's the whole point. We should be growing in our relationship with God. We shouldn't just give our life to Christ and think that that's it. That's all we need to do. There, there's nothing else we need to learn, nothing else we need to do. Um, we're, we're good to go. That's not the case. It should be a process of growing in our faith and our relationship with God. Uh, the only negative thing about being in the place where you are is if you've been there for a long time. If you've stagnated in your faith and you're not growing in your faith, that's the only time that, that being a spiritual infant or a spiritual child is, is a, a negative thing. I'm not going to say it's a bad thing because the good part is you can grow. You don't have to stay there. There's hope for you. You can grow in your faith. And so with that, I want us to keep that in mind as we continue with these before we get to where we left off, just to recap a little bit. So we looked at stage one, the spiritually dead. Those are the people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have not accepted Christ for who he is in their life. They've either rejected God, they even may be seeking God, but they haven't gotten to that point yet where they've asked Jesus to come into their life, and they haven't got to that point where they've surrendered their lives to Jesus. They may even call themselves Christians, but there's no fruit. There's no evidence that they are who they say they are. I know when, when a police officer pulls you over, they ask you for your license and registration. Why? 
Well, they want to see if, A, you actually are who you say you are, and B, does this vehicle belong to the person you say you are? So I know who I'm going to give the ticket to, too, as well. You know, that's important, too. But they want to know, are you who you say you are? They want the evidence. We have to reveal the evidence that shows who we are. So stage two is a spiritually infant, spiritual infant. This is someone who has given their life to Christ. They've asked Jesus to come into their life. However, it's not just people who have just begun their walk with Christ who can be found in this stage. It can be people who have gone to church their entire lives can be a spiritual infant because they haven't grown in their faith. They may come to church every Sunday. They may even go to, to a Sunday school class, but all they've gotten is head knowledge. There has been no transfer of information from head to heart. They've just entered the spiritual stages in their relationship with God. They tend to be self-centered. They, they tend to be about them and, and what they can get. When they come to church, it's, it's about what, what the music is going to be played that I like. It's about, did the message today make any sense to me? Or, I didn't like it, and that's okay. They're uninformed in need of truth. They need this truth to be taught to them by someone who could be a spiritual mentor to them, someone who's farther along in their spiritual journey to come alongside them and teach them and model what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Stage three, a spiritual child. People at this stage have continued to grow in their faith. They've continued to grow in their relationship with Christ and with other Christian followers. They could be newer Christians, but they, again, could also be Christians who have grown to a certain point in their walk with Christ and have stagnated, but they haven't continued to grow in their faith. The primary focus of their, their spiritual walk is still on them. It's still about themselves and not about others. They're in need of a strong relational connection with someone who's, who's spiritually mature. Again, this is one of the stages that is the most, where we find the most Christians today. Is they, they come to the place where they've grown in their faith and they, they think they have gone as far as they've gone, but they've stopped. They haven't yet made the transition from being about being from me to being about we. It's about what I get out of the message. It's about what I get out of the music we sing and the things that we do. If they serve in the church, it's primarily because they have found that there's some benefit for themselves in serving. And so that's why they serve. It's not to serve other people because that's what God has called us to do as followers of Christ, but it's because there's a benefit for me. 
And if there's no benefit for me when the pastor's up making the announcement of these are the things that we have coming up this month for people to be able to, to be involved in and serve, the moment they hear something that isn't, they, they hear it and they're like, that doesn't have any value for me. There's no benefit. I don't see any benefit. And they've stopped listening because it's, it's not for them. So that is where we left off. So we pick up with stage four in this five-stage discipleship model. Stage four is a spiritual young adult. A spiritual young adult. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, John writes, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. We begin to see fruit in their lives. We begin to see the evidence of transformation taking place in their lives. Spiritual young adults are making this shift from being self-focused to being Christ-centered. They're realizing that God has called them to, to give to the body of Christ and not just take. There's the shift that's taking place. People... Other people around someone that is, is making the, this transition from, from a child to a young adult will see this huge shift in their lives. They will see the evidence of what's taking place. All of a sudden, things will, will begin to, to shift from, well, that's not how that person acted before. Well, I've never heard them say that before. Because the person the young, the, in this young adult stage, they've, they've taken what they've learned from reading the Bible. They've taken what they've learned in their experiences of being mentored by another spiritually mature follower of Christ. By being active in their church community. And they've also taken their personal life experiences. And they've gone from simply having a head knowledge to a heart transformation. There's a transformation that has taken place in this person. They actively seek opportunities to serve. See, there's, there's a key difference here. They actively seek. Notice it doesn't say the pastor went up and asked them and they said yes. It says they actively seek. And if they go to the pastor and the pastor says I'm sorry, we, we don't have like something you're looking for. Okay, let me clarify that really quick. Because if someone comes to me and says they want to serve, I promise you, I will find you something to do. I will find you something, some way for you to serve in the church and in the community. Now, if someone comes to me with something specific that we are not doing as a church, this person even though the pastor says, we don't have anything like that that you're seeking, this person will not take that as an answer. They will, one, 
say later, come back to the pastor and say, could we start this? Is this something that we could do if, if I would be willing to lead it? Notice that they didn't say, this is a great idea. Would you lead it, pastor? Notice they said, if I lead it. Or if it's not going to happen in the church, they will go find some place where they can serve in that capacity. They actively seek to serve. As they become secure in, in their faith and about who they are in Christ, they tend to grow less judgmental and find it easier to overlook other people's faults. Now, does that sound like a huge difference between being about you to being about other people? That you actually overlook the things that used to drive you nuts? Kind of a funny story to me. When I first gave my life to Christ in college, I had gone to college the first semester, I given my life to Christ the first semester of college, and winter break, I came home, and um, my brother just happened to be at home at the same time, and he had taken a shower before me, and I went in to take a shower, and he noticed that the cap was up. I was like, he used my body wash. And typically, that would have just infuriated me because I don't know why. Just honestly, it would have driven me nuts. And I honestly remember coming out of the shower, and this was like a breakthrough for me. I came out of the shower after I got dressed, um, and I told my mom, I was like, Corey used my body wash, and it didn't make me mad. I'm like, she's like, who, why? Who cares? But it was like, that's not how I would have done things before. But there was this, this shift taking place in my life. People that enter this young adult stage, they're excited about their faith. They're excited about what their church is doing. And let me clarify that even more. It doesn't matter how big. You do not have to go to a mega church to be excited about what your church is doing. You can, believe it or not, be excited about what your church is doing and be a part of this church. And when you're excited about what your church is doing, when you're excited about your faith and how it's growing, guess who knows it? Everyone around you knows it. Because when you're excited about something, when you get a new car, when you get something new and you're excited about it, what do you do? Yeah, you everybody knows so-and-so got a new car. Did you see it? They've told me all about it. I know like two or three times. I see them driving past my house waiting on me to come outside. You tell people about it. Your faith should not be any different. The things that you're excited about, the things that you're passionate about are what you're going to share with other people. And the spiritual young adults are, are making that transition. Typical statements or questions a spiritual young adult might say. In my devotions, I, I came across something I have a question about. How's that different? Well, it's different because 
as a child, they would have said, I have a question I don't know the answer to. Okay. And they would have moved on. They would have been okay with it. But now it, it's, it's going to bug them. I, I need to know the answer. I, I, I need to know this because this is vital for me to, to help me understand God and to grow in my faith. I need to know the questions, that I, the answers to the questions I have. I really want to go to Uganda on a mission trip this summer. I know I am ready for it. I know God has big plans for my life. They realize that God wants to use them to serve other people. I have three friends that I've been witnessing to, and our small group would be big, would be too big for them. So can we, so can we make room for them? Can we form another group so that they can be in a group too? It's, again, it's not about me. It's about we. I, I, I like this. I love this one. Brandon and Tiffany missed our group. So I called them to see if they were okay. Their kids have the flu, so maybe our group can make meals for them. I'll start. Did you hear that? It didn't say, I wrote it on the connection card for the pastor to do this week. Because, see, being the church is realizing that I'm the pastor, not me, like you. Everybody becomes the pastor. It's not about just me being doing all the ministry, but you doing the ministry. When, when someone's sick, you're calling them. When, when someone's not there and they're usually there, you're calling Are you okay? Or is there anything I can do for you? You're putting yourselves in that place where it's you serving them. What they need, what do spiritual adults need? They need a place they can serve. If you haven't gotten that theme in this, in this stage, they need a place where they can serve. They need someone to help coach them. They need someone to help coach them so that they can help other people grow in their spiritual life. That's important for the next one. An important thing that, that really needs to take place really in all of these stages, but it's really important for this one, for people to not stagnate in their faith as a young adult. But they need people who will come alongside them and encourage them, and even more importantly, hold them accountable. They need people who will hold them accountable to their faith. When they get hurt, and they will, they need to be able to process the pain. They need someone that they can talk to to process the pain and, and the feelings that they're having so that they don't become disillusioned and cynical. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, my brother-in-law told me this when I said that I felt called to ministry. I'll, I'll never forget the moment when he, he told me, because I, I was surprised because he was a pastor. A pastor I'm not supposed to say this. But he said, you know, the best thing about ministry is people. 
He said, you know the worst thing about ministry? He said, it's people. And as a pastor, you get walked all over. Because we want you to grow in your faith. And we're going to stretch you and take you out of your comfort zone and do things that you don't like. And when someone does something that you don't like, your first reaction is to get defensive and strike back and get mad. And I'm not dealing with that pastor anymore and leave the church and go to another church and bug that pastor for a while until you get tired of him and then move to the next one. And there just becomes this jumping thing that it's all about what the pastor's doing. But really, it's not about what the pastor's doing. It's about what the pastor may not be doing at the church we feel comfortable at. Did you hear that? What the pastor's not doing at the church we're comfortable at. You know why people like megachurches? It's like, where's Waldo? How are you going to hold me accountable if you can't find me? That's why it's you know, so vital that small groups are taking place inside large churches. Because you have to make the church small for people to grow in their faith. But guess what? You can't hide here. And you know, I, I find that I make people upset sometimes and I, I push them. And then I question, did I push them too far? Should, should I? And then I get... You know, I start beating up myself, and, but then I keep pursuing those people. And like, no, I seriously, I want the best for you. I want you to grow in your faith. But all they see is me pushing them, and they don't like it, and now they're just mad at me. But for us to grow in our faith, we need people in our lives like that. Stage five. A spiritual parent. A spiritual parent. Make special note. It's important that you get this. Note that it says spiritual parent. It does not say spiritual adult. You see, because we will never get to the point in our spiritual walk where we have arrived. We'll never get to that place where we're like standing next to Jesus Christ in the order of who's, you know, the best in their spiritual journey. You will always be able to grow in your faith. It doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of discipleship. You will always, always, always be able to grow in your faith. And if you ever come to a point where you say, I've reached the place. I am spiritually mature. I have arrived. You're probably back somewhere else because it's still about you arriving. If someone comes to me and says that they're spiritually mature, the first question I'm going to ask them is, okay, if you're spiritually mature, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? Who are you being specifically and intentional about pouring your life into and teaching them about Jesus Christ and teaching them how to grow in their faith? Because if you remember 
a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, the first Sunday that we started this series, that we looked at one specific passage, Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls us to follow him. And when we make the choice to follow him, he says that I will make you. He does the making. He does the transformation. And he says, I will make you. And as you grow in your spiritual walk, you're becoming something, right? There's a goal. There's a purpose for your life. And then he finishes that. Fishers of men. So a spiritual parent is a disciple who is making disciples. It's a follower of Christ who is being intentional about looking for people. Who can I put time into? Who can I come alongside and help them in their spiritual journey? You see, it's, it's the spiritual parents that are so vital to a church family. Because it's those spiritual parents that can go and they, and they can mentor people. It's these spiritual parents that can help teach and mold the spiritual infants and the children and can help the young adults move to that next phase where, where they turn around and disciple others. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul speaking to Timothy. says, Then you, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified, here's the key, to teach others. See, this is literally what Paul is doing at the time. He's literally poured his life into, into mentoring Timothy. And now Timothy's out on his own, and he's becoming the pastor himself. And, and now Timothy is speaking into people. He's building the church up. And now Paul is saying, you're doing great. You're building into these people. Now it's time for you to do the thing that I did. You see, the way that the church grows in producing and reproducing disciples of Jesus Christ is they, they reproduce themselves. You see, when Paul went into these cities, what he would do was he would find those spiritually mature people and he would empower them to speak into the lives of other people, to build their faith. Because he couldn't do it on his own, right? That's how we have grown as the church if the 12 original disciples did not reproduce themselves and continue to make new disciples the church would have never grown we wouldn't be here today if the 12 disciples hadn't done what jesus told them to but it's because of what they did that we've lost track of over time a disciple should reproduce themselves and make more disciples and teach others. Being perfect is not what makes someone a spiritual parent. 
It's not about being perfect. It is not about having all the answers. The main characteristic of a spiritual parent is someone that is intentional about finding someone and discipling them in their faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. This is important because what I've learned, I'll be honest, over the last four and a half years is that you need to hear this. Some of, a lot of you need to hear this. Not knowing everything about the Bible or having all the answers that does not disqualify you from being a spiritual parent. It does not disqualify you from being able to lead a small group or being able to lead a Sunday school class. Because um, when I uh, teach this Sunday school class starting next week, people are going to have questions I may not have all the answers to. Does that mean I should retire now and take my little piddly pension that I have and you know, leave the ministry? No. That means I do need to, one, either go find the answer, or two, I need to find someone who has the answer. That's what qualifies you. When Kaylin was born, I was 21 years old. I didn't know squat about being a parent. To be honest, I wasn't ready to be a parent. When Samantha was born... I was 27, one kid under my belt, so I knew everything about parenting by then. Uh, no, she's a girl, he was a boy, there's total difference, things totally different. You know, now I've got a, a third one, still don't know everything, still learning, because you're what as a parent? You're growing. You're always learning. You're always learning and growing in, in your relationship with your children and, and, and how to best speak to them and what makes them grow, what, what makes them learn the best because Ariana learns differently than Samantha and the same for Kaylin. All three of them, I wish they could all just learn the same way so we could just sit them down at once, but that's not the case. A lot of times it's one-on-one. -on -one. So you will never have the answers, even as a spiritual parent. But a spiritual parent takes what they have to offer, shares their faith with the spiritually dead, and mentors someone who is either an infant, a child, or a young adult. What makes a spiritual parent qualified You've been through the journey. You've been through it. You, you know a lot of, of what they're going through. You know a lot of what they felt in those stages of their life and in their relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been through the ups and downs, the struggles, the times where you just could not get your mind around why God would allow something like that to happen to someone. And you can come alongside them and help them. Typical statements or questions you might hear from a spiritual parent. I wonder if God is leading me to invest in Bill and help him mature in his faith. I want to help this guy at work. He asked me to explain the Bible to him, 
pray for me as I spend time in the word with him. He didn't try to do it on his own. He asked for help. We get to baptize someone from our small group tonight. When, when is the next foundations class or essentials class? Getting him plugged into a ministry is essential for his growth. Did, did, you, did you hear something there? The first part, we get to baptize someone. I'll tell you, one of the, some of the most memorable moments, the, some of my favorite moments are, are being able to, to baptize, uh, to do dedications, to, to be able to pray with someone as they first receive Jesus Christ in their life. There is nothing more powerful to a believer than being able to be in those experiences for them. I want to put on a sign, no pastor required. You don't don't need me to baptize someone. Cut that out of the thing so that the DS doesn't hear that. You don't. You need Jesus Christ living inside of you. You need the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's all you need. You don't need to be ordained. You don't need to be a pastor. You need to love Jesus Christ with your life and want the same for the person you're baptizing. That's all you need. That's all you need. Our small group is going on a mission trip. I am praying for God's wisdom as as I give each person a different responsibility in the group. Where would they best fit so that they can serve and get the most out of their experience serving? This is a key one. The most important discipleship is with my children. Will you hold me accountable to, to lead my kids in devotions? I get so busy that I am not consistent with them. Before you can disciple anyone else, if you're not discipling your kids or your grandkids, start there. And I could have written that for myself. I get caught up in everything I'm doing here a lot, a lot. And Sometimes they get put on the back burner. It shouldn't be the case. They should be first. What do they need? What do spiritual parents need? They need close relationships with other spiritual parents for mutual accountability and encouragement. Like I said before, it can be hard to pour your life into someone and see them walk away from Jesus because it happens. How do you handle that? I've asked those questions. I still struggle with them. They need ongoing training to help them hone their skills in discipling others, the role of the pastor in the church. They need to learn practices and principles of healthy relationships. That can't be stressed enough so that they don't burn out on discipling people who are self-centered. Do you see why it's so important? 
Someone who, who has taken that transformation, that shift, and, and being about other people. And now you're pouring your life into people who are all about them. And not about you as being the person that's, that's speaking into their life. You're forgotten about a lot. And to a degree, we have to be okay with that. Because it's not about the reward that we will get from discipling people. It's the reward that we get from Jesus Christ in doing what he's called us to do as followers of Christ. So the question, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you fit in these stages? Because you fit somewhere. Don't look at them and say, oh, it's not for me. If you think that, oh, it's not for me, that I don't fit in any of those stages, please come get one of these packets because in one of them, um, in one of the stages has 16 stages. And I guarantee you, you will fall in one of them. Where are you? And the next question you need to ask is, what do I need to do to now grow? in my faith, in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're serious about it, obviously I can't say I'm going to give you a cookie-cutter model and say everyone's going to fit into this. This is what you need to do next. I can't do that right now. So if you're serious about this, if you want to grow in your faith and you say, you come to me and you say, this is where I am, and we'll figure out how you get to the next spot, to the next stage. We'll figure it out. So come to me. Ask questions. It's okay. I, I can tell you, I, I've not arrived. I'm not like the perfect disciple. And, you know, I, you know, no. I'm growing in my faith. There's not a, a day that goes by that I don't learn something. And that's the key. Are you learning something? Are you growing in your faith? You should always be growing. If you're not growing, if you found yourself stagnated, here's the first thing you need to do. Two things. One, you need to pray, and you need to be honest with Jesus and say, this is where I am, Jesus, and, and I admit that, that I'm, I'm stuck, and I need your help. Help me move forward. And number two, read that thing called a Bible because he gave it to us for a reason. He gave it to us to learn how to grow and be disciples and followers of Christ. Read it. If you don't understand it and it's boring, read it the next day. Read it. Don't give up. Read it. I gave up so many times as a young kid because I started in Genesis. No one ever told me that I could start in John or Matthew or any. Start in the New Testament where you can pronounce three-fourths of the words. And read it. And if it doesn't make sense, ask some questions. Go back to school. God's school. And learn 